Recast, supporting women entrepreneurs in Southern Alberta, with your host, Jenny Bourne. Welcome to the final episode of WeCast, recorded on Treaty 7 lands, home of the Blackfoot people of the Canadian Plains and the Métis Nation Region 3. WeCast is produced by WeSTEM, the Women Entrepreneurs in STEM program, here to support all women entrepreneurs in rural regions of Southern Alberta. WeSTEM is a three-year program made possible thanks in part to funding from the Government of Canada's Women Entrepreneurship Strategy through Economic Development Lethbridge. The WeCast podcast has been here to amplify the voices and tell the stories of self-identified women entrepreneurs and those who support them across the rural regions of Southern Alberta. My name is Jenny Bourne, and I am the Senior Program Coordinator for the WeSTEM program and the host of WeCast. Alyssa Borix, our technical producer and WeSTEM's event coordinator, is also here with us. As the WeSTEM program comes to an end, I am very excited to welcome Dr. Christy Lane as our final guest. Dr. Christy Lane is a startup founder and award-winning exercise scientist with expertise in big data, wearable devices, and digital health. She has won many international awards for her work in lifestyle medicine and the application of technology in health. Dr. Lane is the chair of health and physical education at Mount Royal University and a founding member of the Stanford Wearable Health Lab. She is also the founder of Viva Metrica, a health tech company that uses data from wearable devices to predict mortality and disease risks, as well as to engage individuals in wellness. Dr. Lane has a PhD in rehabilitation medicine and has focused her career around the measurement of physical activity and promoting exercise as medicine for clinical populations. She is particularly interested in the capabilities of wearable technology for promoting lifestyle behavior change. She has been recognized as Avenue Calgary's Top 40 Under 40, Top 20 Women in Tech 2018, and was awarded the Mount Royal University Research Excellent Award in 2019. Welcome, Dr. Christy Lane. Hi, thank you. I'm super honored to be your last guest. Very we, exciting. We want to save the best for last. <laughs> oh, thanks. And and that that bio really um, shows that we we've kind of done that. But I hope I did I did justice to your your career and the trajectory of of your career in that bio. Did I miss anything uh, recent? No, 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 I don't think so. It's always funny listening to to your bio. <laughs> <laughs> coming from somewhere else but yeah absolutely and and honestly I've been listening to the WeCast episode um you know over the last number of months and there have been just so many amazing women on your podcast so it truly is an honor to be here with you yeah it, that's absolutely true and um it really shows how connected what a community southern Alberta is too because so many of the women who have been part of WeSTEM and part of our WeCast that had did not know each other before all across Southern Alberta are now sometimes working together and, and connecting. I was at a concert last night and ran into one of our podcast guests from, you know, three hours away. So it's it's been really great to, to do this and I'm glad you can be here. 
I should also mention, actually, that you have um, helped the WeSTEM program a lot as one of our business advisors. So thank you very much for being, being on this part of our journey with us as well. I just have to say, I have had the best experience being one of the WeSTEM mentors. I've met so many incredible female entrepreneurs um, in Southern Alberta. It's just actually amazing the the quality and the kind of breadth and depth of technology and, and health innovations going on here. So awesome women to have met. Yeah. And thanks for being such a great advisor and mentor. So yeah, let's hear more about, about your story today. So can you share maybe the Coles note version of, of what rehabilitation science is for people who might not know? Sure. So kind of in general, rehab science encompasses things you may have heard of, um, including physiotherapy, occupational therapy, speech and language pathology, and in some ways, kinesiology. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, my background was primarily in kinesiology. And then for my doctoral work, I entered into rehab science. And really overall, it's about how do we leverage the scientific knowledge we have. And in my you know, focus area technology to help people move better and help people get back to, you know, to work or whatever level of function they want to be at. So is there anything in particular that drew you to this, this particular science? Great question. I mean, I have been interested in physical activity and human movement as long as I can remember. I played a lot of sports growing up. I was always very interested in sports medicine and how do we, you know, assess physical activity. But it was really during my graduate work that I started to look into how do we leverage uh, the evolving technology in rehab science to better understand what's going on with people and then help um, get them better. Yeah, I think when most people hear you know, rehab science, rehabilitation science, it's what you were talking about, right? Like people automatically think of kinesiology or physiotherapy and athletic therapy. But, you know, it seems that you became very interested in the tech aspect, right? So yeah. what's, you know, when you said you were in grad school, but, you know, there are many avenues you could have taken there. So what got you, what started you on that path of researching and of developing wear, wearable tech specifically? You know, every time I tell this story, it makes me feel really old. <laughs> <laughs> I, I so, hear that. <laughs> my first wearables project was actually in 1999 during my undergrad degree, and it was my honors research project in kinesiology. And for that project, I was trying to understand what the risks were for women who were pregnant and bed rested in hospital. And so for those women, we put pedometers on them. So just the most simple wearable you can imagine that just counted steps. Okay. We also looked at their glucose and other things, but that was really the kind of the first step for me was realizing that just by looking at simple steps per day on these women, you know, we were able to understand that their inactivity level was really truly uh, a risk for them while they were in hospital for getting things like, you know, gestational diabetes and other diseases of inactivity. So that's really where it began in the late 90s. And then honestly have just 
built my career alongside the evolution of wearable technology for the last 20 odd years. So for the, for the lay person, right, you, you spoke of pedometers, right. As being the most simple wearable tech. And for me, I I have a smartwatch, right. I I watch my steps every day and try to count my, how many calories I've burned, that kind of thing. Beyond that, you know, what is wearable tech beyond my, the average smartwatch that a person can go and buy for themselves? The most prevalent wearable tech truly is smartwatches. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of the biggest market penetration and, and more people have smartwatches than any other kind of wearable. What, one of the things that people maybe don't think about as a wearable would be their smartphone itself. Mm-hmm. So if you have it in your pocket or, you know, in your purse or wherever, smartphones have the same sensors in them and sometimes more Mm -hmm. refined sensors than a smartwatch. So they're tracking your activity. They can even track things using apps for like gait instability and glucose and stress. You know, beyond those, there are, you know, what you would consider your more traditional medical wearables like halter monitors for cardiovascular health, they've been around for a long time. Um, But there are now wearables that are called hearables, you know, that you put in your ear, they kind of are like a a headphone, and they're also tracking things like temperature and pressure and sensitivity to noise. There are, eyewear now has, um, I don't know if you've heard of, or people have heard of Google Glass. So you've got wearables going into eyewear. And then you have even nowadays, like implantables that are tracking things like, you know, what is the, what are the blood glucose levels actually in your blood um, or surface patches that are tracking contents of your sweat. So there's just really been a huge evolution in the wearables market. But what I would say is today, really, when you think about what's becoming the most useful, it really is this consumer technology that almost everybody has. So either a smartphone or these smartwatches. I have two follow-up questions, actually. One is, would a cochlear implant be considered a wearable technology? Yeah, so hearing aids? Yeah, but not just the hearing aid that you take in and out of your ear, but the actual cochlear implant. Yeah. Your brain, yeah. I mean, technically, that's the thing. It's such a broad area where it could really include anything that you're wearing on your body that's doing something useful, whether it's collecting data. Some people talk about eyeglasses as being a wearable, um, Mm. the original and oldest wearable around, but I would say for sure implants could be considered a wearable device. Interesting. Okay. So my second follow-up question, and I, you know, it's a selfish question (laughs) for my own personal knowledge. I've read a lot about smartwatches that, you know, questioning their accuracy, right? So that mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't really give you your exact heart rate. So is there any point of monitoring your heart rate with your smartwatch? And it doesn't really count every calorie that you burn, that kind of thing. Do you have an opinion about the accuracy of, of that um, technology in particular? Yes. <laughs> I, I've, I've studied I mean, I've studied this extensively. So my my own research back, you know, 15, 20 years ago, where we were beginning to use smartwatches to assess outcomes of treatment for spinal disorders, 
that's where, you know, I really began doing in-depth validation of -hmm. devices and making sure that they were doing what they said they were doing. In that case, it was what we call research grade devices that are designed for use in clinical practice. So, you know, at that time, they were a lot more rigorous in terms of their ability to measure things. And I'd say about 10 years ago, when I started Viva Metrica, we were using data from all kinds of wearables, but primarily consumer wearables. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine we were using them for the purposes of life insurance underwriting. So it was really important that the data being collected was accurate. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I've overseen studies where we've looked at data from millions of people. And what I'll tell you is I'd say 10 years ago, I didn't have as much confidence in the accuracy of, you know, Fitbits and mm-hmm. honestly, Apple watches didn't even exist then, but you know, there was Fitbit and Garmin and, and Misfit and we did head to head comparison studies and they were pretty good mm-hmm. to be honest in terms of accuracy, what it's evolved to today is almost all of the consumer wearables you'll see on the market are extremely accurate and they're pretty comparable um, from one to another. So there has been, that's an area where there's been quite a lot of advancement in the last five to 10 years, I'd say. Interesting. It makes mm-hmm. me feel real, much better about <laughs> obsessively watching my the data from my watch every day. So, well, yeah. and- And like, there's another, you know, rabbit hole we could go down about that, which is, you know, to what extent does it matter if your watch misses five to 10% of your steps in a day? Mm -hmm. You know, really, if, if it's doing that in the same way every day, and really what you're looking for changes over time or trends, um, does it really matter if it's not exactly accurate? for just a consumer to monitor their own physical activity behavior. Yes, that's true, right? And it's, I guess, yeah. uh, could have detrimental mental health effects if you're obsessing over it a little bit too much too, Yeah, there's a fine line there, but I mean, there are worse things that you could be obsessed <laughs> with. You know, <laughs> tracking your activity isn't so bad. Yeah, that's, an, that's a very excellent point. Okay, so you mentioned Viva Metrica, right? So mm-hmm. you you are a you know a successful researcher and a professor, which you know for most people would take up a hundred percent of their time. So, how and when did you decide to pursue entrepreneurship and founding a company? So, I had you know throughout my life, I'd always thought about entrepreneurship and how would I do that. I come from a very traditional background of, you know, almost everyone is a teacher in my family. So, you know, I wasn't really exposed to entrepreneurship, even throughout my education. And, but I always was thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And so about 2013, I was five or so years into my professorship at Mount Royal. I noticed that um, work that I had begun in my postdoc and was continuing to do around wearable device data and Mm -hmm. big data in health really had so much more potential beyond academia. Um, Granted, you know, there's a huge amount of impact you can have through publishing papers and presentations. But if you're looking to get to, you know, a much broader audience in terms of public health, which was my goal, that's when I thought, okay, there's, there's something here. And 
um, I thought that the best way to go about getting that uh, out to the general public was by starting a company. So started Viva Metrica in 2013. And then um, actually while I was on maternity leave with my um, first kid, I have three kids now. So <laughs> that's when I started it. Because you had so much free time. When yeah. On that leave with a new one. <laughs> Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I get bored quickly, not to say that having an infinite boring, but I like to keeping like to keep the mind active. So took that on during that period of time. And then subsequently, I took a leave from Mount Royal and went down to Stanford, um, which is when started the wearable health lab there, alongside Viva Metrica. So I kind of had two years there to, to really get things up and running. So your work at in Stanford supported your work with Viva Metrica? Yeah, we we kind of um, one of the co-founders of Viva Metrica was at Stanford. And, you know, we believe that the academic work we were collaborating on, you know, was supportive of and could could really support in parallel the things that we were building at Viva Metrica. So we weren't using um, leveraging science necessarily from the Stanford lab within Viva Metrica, but we were in parallel building the academic science around wearables, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you were instrumental in starting up the Stanford wearable health lab, correct? Yeah, yeah. it was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was myself and um, my uh, co-founders from Viva Metrica who started the wearable health lab that is still running today and still doing very, you know, interesting stuff around digital biomarkers and phenotyping using wearable data. Are you still connected? Yeah. Yeah. We still have a number of ongoing projects and uh, really fun and interesting collaboration going on with Stanford neurosurgery, where we're actually using the Apple watch to determine what impact of neurosurgery for spinal disorders, and also figure out if surgeons can use the Apple Watch to better understand patient care and deliver better care for their patients. So I'm super excited about that study. Oh, that's exciting. That's great. When do you expect to be seeing results? And So I just presented preliminary results from that at a conference in Boston in May, and we're almost done with patient recruitment there. And it's super interesting data. What we're finding is patients are highly engaged with the wearables. I think we have 98 plus percent adherence. And that means people have been wearing the watch for over a year in many cases. Um, and we find that the patients like it and also that the surgeons are loving having a true insight into their patients' everyday life, which is something that we haven't really been able to do. You know, yeah. historically medicine has been in many ways, function is self-reported. How do you feel? How is your walking? Mm-hmm. Are you more active? Whereas now we can actually understand those things in real time. That's pretty awesome. That changes everything, really. Yeah. The whole, it, the whole care, it, patient-doctor relationship, right? It, it really does. And it's one of those things that, you know, you asked about what got me into wearables. Mm-hmm. You know, that was really the why. You know, back when I was doing my postdoc work in Michigan, we were heavily looking into how do we use wearables to understand function? Mm -hmm. And can we track people over time and see, okay, you know, you've been pretty much flatlined doing the same thing for six months. And then all of a sudden you 
you know, you take a dive and your activity goes downhill, you know, what does that mean? Is that a trigger for certain types of treatment or, you know, does it mean that we should be looking into changing your treatment, that kind of thing. So the real why of it is, is understanding how to use the data to better understand people's function and then also use it to give them personalized prescription for activity. Right. That's great. That is fantastic. So Christy, you, you said you do not come from any kind of background of business ownership, right? Your family are all traditionally teachers, that kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. how did you, how did you find your journey? Did you have mentors or, you know, business advisors, like who, who supported you or inspired you to get that going? Yeah, great question. So to be honest, probably my, my biggest supporter and mentor is my husband, Hayden. He's an accountant. So he has a background in, in finance and to a certain degree entrepreneurship. And so in the early days, it was conversations I had with him around, you know, can we make a go of this as a business? Does this make sense? How would we go about doing it? And so he was the CFO of, of Viva Metricon. So I learned a ton from him in terms of how to set up a business, how to run the business, you know, how to build financial projections and, you know, get investment and term sheets and all of that stuff um, from him primarily. And then also had, you know, an, a number of, of mentors through various programs um, that I participated in. Innovate Calgary and Creative Destruction Labs. Mm-hmm. I was part of the um, Lazaridis Scale Up program out of Laurier University. Um, we participated in Plug and Play in mm-hmm. Silicon Valley before they moved to Alberta. So exciting that they're now in Alberta. Um, but we were part of the very first insurance technology plug and play. So, you know, I had great opportunities for really such diverse mentorship throughout the journey. And it sounds like you had regional, provincial, national, and really international supports and programs that you were utilizing. Yeah, no, it it's true. You know, it kind of started, if you want to call it grassroots, like things mm-hmm. here in Calgary and, and startup programs in Calgary, and then did expand because the market was in the United States and beyond, a, a lot of the mentorship was in the U.S. And I would also say, to be honest, as we evolved from a digital health company into an insurance technology company, I met so many wonderful people in the insurance and the reinsurance industry yeah. um, that truly became my, my mentors in terms of how to navigate um, and understand business to business, B2B sales. And um, and how to navigate the insurance industry, and many of those people I still work with today, and have have kept in touch with, and are still working with them to do some pretty exciting things. Yeah, a, a recurring theme it seems is relationship building, right? Networking and relationship building when you're starting out your business, and and as you continue, and and it seems that a, a lot of women in business are really paying it forward, right? Like I know mm-hmm. you've been a, an advisor with WeSTEM, but outside of WeSTEM, have you um, had many opportunities to take on that mentorship role yourself? Yeah, I mean, it's such a great point. I just want to reiterate, honestly, that 
I would say the vast majority of of success that I've had has been through network building. And, you know, you say, a lot of people will say, oh, it's all who you know. And in many ways it kind of is, but it doesn't have to be, you know, in a negative sense. It's about meeting people and cultivating relationships and, and honestly doing nice things for people without any expectation of ever getting anything back. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that that ends up it it comes back you know it comes back to you and so i would say you'd asked about my opportunities for mentorship i have done tons of it i through wisdom i've done some mentorship through mount royal i have done i mentor lots of students at stanford so there's a bio design program at stanford where they're looking at and at um yale that i that i help with where both universities are helping students to start companies and then scale them. So I've mentored there. There's a number of big data challenges where I mentor. So kind of across the board, but my area of passion, I would say is women and girls, little girls in STEM. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've done many kind of sessions with young girls and high school girls mentoring them in terms of just learning about science and and learning about opportunities for women and girls in science Uh, so that's that's something that I think for the rest of my life I'll continue doing because I think it's so important yeah I have two little girls and I just I just watch them and I I hope for them that things are easier you know, to be a, to be a woman, if they want to take on really any career, but in particular, the challenges of being a woman in, in science and technology are significant. Yeah. So, you know, whatever we can do to help them, that's my goal. That's great. So if you, if you don't mind my asking, um, Mm -hmm. when you were starting out or maybe these days as well, are there many obstacles that you, you've had to face down? Yes, I would say less where I am today. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, I would say, and, and that's probably just through sheer um, persistence. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, early on in my career as a researcher, it was tough. You know, I was working with a lot of um, male physicians, male surgeons who you know, there was still, unfortunately, a very clear gender bias. Mm -hmm. You know, I have, we could do a whole podcast about all of the embarrassing slash funny things that happened to me where people thought I was, you know, the secretary or the, you know, the the technologist at the conference and they wanted me to help them with their slides and on and on and on. But I mean, I think even the, the place or the instance where this became most stark for me, it was in venture capital. Mm-hmm. For Viva Metrica, I was doing the vast majority of the fundraising, and that was tough. You know, I would walk into rooms with my male co-founders, and people would naturally just gravitate towards and listen to them, which is frustrating because, you know, the company was built around my science. And that, you know evolved over time, but 
that's a very, very tricky area to navigate for women, I think, and remains that way. Tricky in what way that you don't want to express your frustration <laughs> in, in case you ruin those opportunities oh, or are there other things you're that, I mean, yes, that's a great yeah. point. I, I think like the stat is, um, and there was a great panel on this at InVentures in Calgary, I think it was last week or the week before, but the stat is that in North America, 2% of venture capital goes to women or women-led companies. Like it's, and it's actually gone down in the last two years. Mm -hmm. And I think that it is just an area where there's such deeply baked innate bias, gender bias, and, you know, women are being held to a higher bar. You know, they're being asked to prove themselves or prove their capabilities in areas where, you know, men just wouldn't, wouldn't be asked the same questions. There are studies showing this, that questions that get asked to women and who are raising money are vastly different than those that are asked to, to men of even the same company. So it's, it is a, a tough world to navigate where, like you said, you're trying to stay positive and, and not show your frustration because you never know what the impact of that will be on, on getting a deal or not. But in the end, what I would say is that raising money is all again, all about relationship building. And so if you're meeting with somebody who isn't giving you the respect that you deserve, that's probably not the right person to have investing in your company anyways. And that's something that I learned as well. That's a good point. So how do you navigate? Is that rule number one for you? Is there anything else you you use to try to navigate those those meetings? And Fortunately for me, um, I am now kind of on the other side of things where I am a, I'm an advisory partner for a venture capital firm in New York that invests in InsureTech and um, fintech companies and a little bit health tech. And so I'm on the other side meeting with, with ventures. So in that way, and I'm the only woman, I think in that, nope, there's, there are two women mm-hmm. <laughs> in this group. And, you know, I, I do my best to have a, you know, have a closer look at female led companies and, and have, you know, try and bring in potential deals that are maybe not traditionally ones that would have caught the attention of the investors. So from that side, I'm, I'm doing my best really to introduce all the female led companies that I know to good investors and, and vice versa. So from that sense, I, I feel like that's a way that I'm hopefully having an impact. Yeah. And I know there are, you know, many other female led venture firms that are, that are opening. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got like the 51 in Calgary that's female led and they focus on, you know, um, women led companies, things like that, that are, that are springing up that just didn't exist before. And I think we'll have, we'll truly have an impact over time. I'm curious if, if there are only two women with the venture capital group that you're with, do you ever um, receive any pushback from the other members um, for some of the businesses that you want to take a closer look at? 
possibly supporting. No. And I want to caveat this with the, the men that, that I work with in this group are fantastic. And I would say that I never, for an instance, um, have observed any gender bias from the entirety of this firm. They're wonderful. And that's probably why I'm so excited to be working with them. What I, what I mean more is that, you know, there's, there are just probably opportunities like in, in femtech that just wouldn't even be on their radar that they right. wouldn't even have exposure to, or certain, you know, women's health where it's, it's of nobody's fault, but it's just not something that they're, that's on their radar. Do you know what I mean? Like you're a man, you're probably not reading on like what's going on in, in pregnancy and menopause technology. Yeah. <laughs> it just is what it is. So, but no, I, in that group, no, they're wonderful from that sense, but other groups, that I've engaged with a hundred percent. I've seen bias. It's mm-hmm. just, it's quite stunning to be honest. The, the extent of it, I think it's, it's something until you've experienced it. You, and my husband will say this. he, he watched me navigate these waters and he'll tell you to this day that Holy smokes, he had no idea, you know, what it was actually like until he observed it firsthand. Yeah. Well, I think it's a testament to your, what, tenacity and, and passion that you have, you know, navigated and, and endured. Cause there's a lot of women who just say enough, you know, I don't want to have to always, which is, fight. yeah, which is so, you know, and that's the, I mean, that's, I don't want to say it, that's a, the unfortunate thing is that you got to think of how many amazing women and, and ideas and potentially you know, hugely impactful companies there are out there that that didn't happen. And, and it probably in many cases has nothing to do with the tenacity of the woman. It's either the challenges that they just lack of connections, lack of knowing the right people, this innate bias that it almost, you know, no matter what they did, it maybe wouldn't have worked out. So just yeah. because the system is set up the way it is. Yes. Which is you know, an opportunity for change, I think. Yes. And, and there is change, right? We have people like you out there (laughs) making these changes and the 51 and, and other, uh, other groups out there trying to. Well, and we stand, Uh right? Like this is the thing that what you guys are doing is amazing. And through we stem, I think I worked with eight different female adventures and they're, you know, varying from like bricks and mortar yoga studios through to medical device imp- implants. And these are extremely smart women, mm-hmm. but in many ways, especially in rural areas, you just don't, there's the infrastructure doesn't exist for you to, to scale companies. And that's why programs like we STEM are so important. I, yeah, think. I, I, I could not agree more. And there are so many amazing women and so many amazing companies out there. So the more we can support um, each other to success, that's, that's the best, right? So yes, a hundred percent. Absolutely. So Christy, you're, you know, you have a lot of uh, facets to your career, your professional career, right? You're a, uh, an academic, you're a researcher, you're an entrepreneur, you're working with venture capital. 
So how do you balance? Oh, and you're a mother to three, right? You've got your family and personal obligations and your own health um, to worry about. So how do you balance the multiple aspects of your life and your professional career? Wow. It's, it's funny. I actually did a podcast with um, my best girlfriend named Amber Patchla, just a shameless plug for, <laughs> for her podcast. But I saw that podcast actually. <laughs> yeah. She uh oh, I'm glad you did. Yeah. It's wonderful. You should follow her. But I I did a podcast with her about this particular topic. And, you know, leading up to that, I thought a lot about it. And and in the end, what we talked about is it's very hard. <laughs> and you can't actually do everything I think is, is kind of what it boils down to is it's just not possible to be, you know, your absolute best at all aspects of your life. So, you know, you kind of have to get to a point where you're okay with that and you're okay, you know, letting go at any given time. And, you know, over the years, I would say it depended for me what what period of my life I was in, but there were times where I was definitely not taking care of myself as much as I should have, you know, like even though I study exercise, I probably wasn't exercising as much as I should have sleep was one that, Oh my God, with three kids and all that's going on. I, I mean, I feel like I'm perpetually (laughs) tired and don't get enough sleep, but I honestly think a lot of it's about priorities and you kind of have to sit down and, and think through where to allocate your time Mm -hmm. and for me I'm I've come to a place in my life where I'm very strict about that so I I work when I'm working and then when I'm not working I'm not working Mm -hmm. with my kids and with my husband we like to travel and I really try super hard during those off times to actually be off and I think that that's super important because the work creep and you've heard there's so many great people out there talking about um, burnout, work-related yep. stress. I mean, it's real. Yes. And I found for myself, it's all about setting boundaries and priorities and then sticking to it. Mm-hmm. Is that easy? Do you, have you found it that you're able to do, to do that? I mean, I would say, well, I mean, I'm, I'm currently on maternity leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So you're going to start, oh, a, maybe new not. Maybe you're not. To start no. a new business, Christy, you're on maternity. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> um, I would say now I am at a place where I feel like I'm, pre- I'm doing pretty well for balance. I'd say probably five or six years ago at kind of the height of Viva Metrica and when we were raising money and living in Silicon Valley and stuff, at, mm-hmm. those were some times where probably wasn't good balance but you know we actually took the you know the initiative to um recognize that and make some changes within my life with my husband with our family life that kind of set us back on a, a good course but I would say there were a year or two there where I was definitely working too much mm-hmm. and traveling too much for work and and yeah, that, you know, that needed to be resolved and we did thankfully, but you know, I have a couple of friends who are entrepreneurs and I'm just watching them right now and trying to help them <laughs> through it and saying, 
work is work and your life, you know, but your life isn't just work. So Mm -hmm. I think that's an important one to know. Yeah, that's great advice. You know, you have a lot of achievements, right? And you've received a lot of accolades for, for your work. So is there a particular achievement or milestone that you are most proud of? Mm. It's funny because, and this is going to sound, you know, contrite, but I mean, I, I never really did any of this work to get accolades. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Like I, you know, it's, it's great. And I, I, you know, I'm honored to receive them, but for me, I think the thing that I always wanted to do was advance science and have impact mm-hmm. on people and people's health. And so I would say probably the, in my work life, my greatest achievement or thing I'm most proud of is actually uncovering this new area of science, of lifestyle science, where we were figuring out how impactful physical activity is on things like disease risk and mortality. Mm-hmm. And that's what Viva Metrica was based around. So it really truly was groundbreaking stuff where we showed that physical activity other than age is the strongest predictor of mortality. Mm-hmm. And that was pre- that's pretty exciting to me. And then seeing how the impact of that, um, you know, in, in academia, but also in the insurance and digital health industries is, I'd say, the most exciting. That is exciting. So right now, if it's not top secret, is there something um, you're working on now? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if it's top secret, you don't have to ship. No. <laughs> well, other than I, I didn't get to say my like biggest accomplishment, which is my three kids. Mm-hmm. They're the best. And, you know, I know they're not accolades, but they're like my most exciting accomplishments. I'm working on growing a one-year-old into a, a little human right now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the biggest secret. challenge oh I have a little boy I have two my two older girls and then I have a one-year-old boy and you know that's so much fun for me but I digress um <laughs> I mean really what I'm continuing to do through a few things I'm working on is continue to push this science of how to leverage wearable data in improving health And so a lot of things that I'm working on right now are are kind of centered around that. How do we bring wearable data into electronic medical records, Mm -hmm. make that usable for um, care providers, but also for people? I'm also working on, you know, bringing this type of data into some apps, you know, to help, for example, pregnant women or um, women who are trying to get pregnant use that data, um, a whole bunch of stuff. I'm trying to work on how do we get physical activity used as a, as a metric for getting, um, drugs approved in clinical trials. So bunch of stuff kind of all over the place, but also the, you know, the research projects that I mentioned earlier are kind of the most exciting right now. How do we use Apple watch in particular to, give better care to patients with spinal disorders. That's amazing. That's very exciting. I'm very excited for you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I am. And I I have just before we wrap up here, I wanted to ask, I know you, 
you mentor many people, right? You have students and, you know, friends and women in business. Do you find that you're doing most of this mentorship in the, in sciences, in the tech industry or in entrepreneurship, or is it a mixture of both or, you know, are you working with a a woman in science and through working with you, she ends up, you know, starting a tech company or something like that? Oh, I love that question. And the answer is the latter. So it's all of those things. And that's what like really makes me excited to get up every day is I love what I do because it is so varied. I do a ton of scientific work, right? Like very pure scientific research and working with some, some women who are working on innovations that I'm hoping will become companies at some point if they want to. And then I am doing mentoring of existing companies. And then the last I would say is I'm still very interested in the world of digital health and insurance Mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of advising a number of companies on how best to use their science to, to build bigger and stronger businesses that will be impactful. That's so great to hear. And it's good, but you don't have to work in each thing kind of, you know, in silos, right? Everything, everything affects all, some of your work affects all the other uh, parts of your career. So that's really great. But I do have one last question for you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what advice would you give to, you've been giving great advice the whole way, but if there's something else off the top of your head, what advice would you give to any woman considering a career in rehabilitative science or starting a tech-based business? Oh my goodness. So, I mean, I think the the biggest piece of advice I would give is to just do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, if it's a passionary for you or you have an interest in doing it, you know, just give it a go mm-hmm. because I think there are a lot of opportunities out there. And the most important thing and the most exciting thing I think about my career has been doing things that I'm excited (laughs) and passionate about, um, but didn't necessarily know what the heck I was doing. So like I said, I I literally had never taken a business course (laughs) in my life. And so, you know, it's just about diving in and giving something a go and also knowing that it's totally okay to fail. I didn't mention that at all yet today, but like through my journey, I would say some of my happiest moments and biggest successes have come out of like the most catastrophic failures. Uh-huh. So, you know, that's how you learn and that's how you get better. So I would say, you know, just dive right in, give it a go. If you're excited about it, give it a try. And then, you know, if you fail, that's okay. Yeah. You know, it means that you're doing something exciting. That's excellent advice. And if if I can add to your advice, you don't have to do it alone, right? There's yes. lots of programs out there. There's like WeSTEM, like the 51, and uh, I forget Calgary. Who were you working with? You mentioned a bunch of uh, oh yeah, programs, we, we did right? some stuff with Creative Destruction Labs, yeah, in Calgary, Plug and Play. I know there's Platform Calgary, Thin Air Labs. Like there are tons of tons of support in Alberta in particular around entrepreneurship where 
you know, if you need help, you, you can find it. You just have to ask. That's the other thing is just ask for help. The worst that can happen is the person will say no. But what I have found in particular in Canada is if, if you kind of have the guts to ask somebody for something, they'll probably help you or they'll know somebody that will. Thank you so much, Dr. Christy Lane. This has been so amazing and so insightful. And I think this is just such a fantastic way to wrap up the the WeCast podcast. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. And thank you all at WeSTEM for building such a wonderful program. I think the more programs we can have like this, built by women, for women, supporting women and girls, especially in STEM, it's fantastic. So great job. Thank you. I couldn't agree more. WeCast is a production of the Women Entrepreneurs in STEM program. WeSTEM is made possible thanks in part to funding from the Government of Canada's Women Entrepreneurship Strategy. For more information, visit our website at westem.ca or contact westem at chooselethbridge.ca. Thanks for listening.